Again, this is Clark Rockfam, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. And thank you for joining the broadband adoption panel of our legislative seminar. Day two, it is going fast and furious here. All right. Uh, I'd like to begin by welcoming our guests. So I'll begin with uh, Zach Bastian from Verizon Communications. Zach, how are you doing today? Good afternoon, Clark. Always a great time to speak with ACB. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Zach, you mind sharing a little bit on uh, your background and your current role with Verizon? Absolutely. So I'm manager for strategic alliances at Verizon. I lead our accessibility partnerships within our public policy and strategic alliances shop. Uh, My priorities are really trying to bring in all the great feedback that we get from organizations like ACB around our services. I've spoke to many of you directly about your concerns around making sure that you're getting the best phone and internet experience possible. And we really do appreciate that feedback at all times. But also speaking to organizations with ACB that are advocating for people who are blind on policy issues to help them understand uh, the kinds of policies that we think could lead to more connectivity and uh, more access for people with disabilities. Thanks, Zach. And next up is Jackie Puente with Comcast. Good afternoon, Jackie. Hey, Clark, and thank you for having me here. It's a real pleasure to be with you all today. Um, Many of you know me. I've worked with Comcast now for uh, a long time. Um, I'm our executive director for external affairs, and uh, much of my work is about the digital divide and digital equity. Um, For many years, I've uh, worked on our Internet Essentials program, which has been our low-cost broadband adoption program that helps combine getting affordable access for $9.95 a month for families, along with the digital skills and learning training, as well as access to hardware. Um, And it's been just a pleasure to work with you and and all of your members uh, across the country to uh, get the word out about how to get connected, how to get online, and how we can um, grow the digital skills learning so that people can um, really participate um, in our economy, um, do all the distance learning that's happening now in the the age of this pandemic, um, and, and so much more. So it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. And our next panelist is Troy Attilio from Ira. Troy, how are you doing today? And Troy, you might be muted. Thank you. Thanks for letting me know. Hello, Clark. Hello, everyone from ACB and everyone who's listening and panelists. Really super thrilled to be here. ACB has been a great partner since the founding of Ira back in 2015. And I think we continue to work together. And I'm really excited about this panel. Just briefly about me. I'm the CEO um, formerly, I was the chief operating officer. I took over CEO in February. And before that, um, you know, I grew up a software engineer and worked a bunch of startups in Silicon Valley. But Ira is my first experience working with uh, folks in this community and working on accessibility. Thank you, Troy. And we certainly appreciate the partnership with uh, all three of your companies, Verizon, Comcast, and Ira as well. Our final panelist needs no introduction to ACB. Cindy Hollis, Membership Services Coordinator. Cindy, how are you doing? I am wonderful. (laughs) So (laughs) delighted to be here. Uh, And uh, besides working on membership initiatives for ACB, I also am managing our community events program, which did not exist a year ago, but has been in uh, full swing since the middle of March of last year, and really uh, delighted to be part of this panel. Thanks. 
Great. And now I'll begin with questions. And I'll direct my first question towards Jackie and then Zach. Uh, we're curious to hear about what lessons Verizon and Comcast learned about broadband use during the pandemic and what Comcast and Verizon did to meet the needs of consumers. So Jackie, would you like to begin? Sure. And I think um, this is, you know, a very timely topic. I think, um, you know, there has been um, just, you know, so much that we've learned that has gone wrong and so many of our systems, right, as a, as a country, as an economy have really um, shown the, the greatest challenges we have during the, the pressure of this ongoing pandemic. But one thing that has worked incredibly well has been our broadband network infrastructure and our ability to continue to serve, um, you know, our customers across the country. And if you think about kind of that, that spike and how much more time people are spending connecting to their devices, streaming content, um, using using so many different apps and 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 really you know leveraging all of this technology for physical distancing and staying safe in place, it's been incredible to see how the network infrastructure has really um, accommodated that huge increase in traffic um, over the last twelve months. Um, of course, that also with that we've seen how dependent we are right on broadband technology and how important it is um, for people to have not just the devices in their hands, um, but the connectivity at home to really kind of um, fuel all of the work that's being done in the house. And, you know, I think this is something where um, this community has known for a long time the importance of the connectivity and, and the devices that can help um, enhance our, our, our living. But um, obviously, given the stresses of the pandemic, it's been so much more apparent how, how for distance learning and for telework, really that um, high-speed broadband connection is is critical. And so we have been, um, since, you know, since this started last March, um, really taking a, a deep look inside our company and our programs to see how we can be as helpful as possible. And we've done a number of things. Um, you know, we've signed on to this pledge at the FCC um, that Verizon and other ISPs signed on to as well to make sure that people were being disconnected because of their inability to pay their bills. We've done things like increase our speeds for our, our low-cost broadband products. Um, we've, you know, done a different promotional um, work to try and increase more people, get more people online through our Internet Essentials program and other products. Um, and really, I think we've doubled down investing in now what we're calling digital equity, right, to make sure that all um, people understand the value of being online and really helping support folks whether it's through safe spaces like our lift labs around the country um, or working with partner organizations um, like ACB to make sure that folks know where they can get the technology, the hardware, um, and the, the know-how to make everything work together. Thank you, Jackie. And Zach, anything that you would like to add about Verizon's lessons learned during the p- pandemic and how you all are meeting the needs of consumers where they are? Absolutely. And again, thanks so much for the opportunity to speak to ACB today. Uh, I think Jackie covered a lot of the broad strokes of what, you know, we've experienced. Demand definitely spiked for us. We were seeing uh, more usage for longer periods of time, a lot of uh, demand for video, obviously. So the bandwidth that's required for a high quality video connection is going to increase uh, that uh, the people's consumption of the internet, but we have the network that was able to handle that. So 
Uh, across the board, we've been very happy with our network performance. We've been able to manage these spikes without any big interruptions in service. Uh, but we've also done a lot in terms of community engagement, just like Comcast has, to make sure that we are staying in touch with our communities, uh, making sure that we're giving support in the right areas. Uh, we committed over $56 million in funding and in-kind support for COVID-19 relief. Uh, we provided a discount to Lifeline-eligible customers on Fios Home 200 uh, megabit symmetrical internet connections, which is still available. So if you do qualify for a Lifeline, that can bring down your cost of Fios to $19.99 a month. And, and then through the Verizon Distance Learning Program, we connected 38 million students in 40 states and here in the District of Columbia with discounted plans and connectivity to support remote education. And we did this through a format that would allow states and groups of states to negotiate for a bulk rate for the students and teachers in their area. Um, and this also includes uh, support for uh, connectivity and remote education learnings. So uh, specific to the ACB community, uh, we're dramatically scaling our support for Teach Access, which is a initiative to give college students uh, the kinds of accessible engineering and design education that will get them out into the marketplace making apps and services and technology itself accessible, uh, which, you know, the level of accessibility education in universities right now is just not at the level that it needs to be to make sure that there's true comprehensive access. So we're excited to scale that up, see it reach any more students. But that basically covers, you know, I, there, there's a lot more depth that I could go into, but I, I just wanted to give you guys a taste of the breadth of the way that we're engaged, that it's not just on one phase. We understand that this has pushed a lot of people to the limit and we're there to help. So thanks again for the opportunity to speak with you guys. Thanks, Zach. And, and Troy, Zach mentioned the uh, increased demand for video services, which is uh, perfect dovetail into yeah. the work that you do with Ira. So quick question for you. How have consumers been using Ira, which is a remote video assistive technology during the pandemic? Yeah, it's been really interesting. As you know, we have thousands of customers and we've delivered millions of sessions and we track all that. Um, and pre-pandemic, we would track like how many, how many sessions were out and about, how many people were navigating, how many were online. And boy, did we see a change when the pandemic hit, right? It was like right there in our data. And we already touched on a lot of it, right? A lot of it was shifting to home, parenting, working from home, learning from home. And uh, we saw, you know, individuals struggling to adapt. Um, you've heard the stats, but we see it every day in our sessions. 40% of websites are inaccessible. And by that, I mean, like, it only takes one CAPTCHA or one element of the workflow to break to then render someone who's dependent on that information to, to get blocked. And it's really frustrating, especially when you're trying to keep up with so much change. Um, we also saw folks, um, you know, especially early in the pandemic, you know, just getting access, you know, to go to, go to the pharmacy to get food um, and social distancing, you know, guide dogs and canes. Um, you know, it's, it, you can't read the signs, you know, that were hastily printed you know, or look at the, the social distancing of, of six feet. So we, we saw a lot of our customers, you know, frankly, getting a bit harassed sometimes because they were standing too close. And, you know, they call IRA sometimes to, to facilitate that social distancing. So what we saw were um, in this community, a lot of challenge and a lot of change, a, real, a lot of rapid change. 
I have to also though compliment kind of, you know, the providers of the infrastructure because one challenge that we didn't see as much was this shift to broadband at home. Our agents work from home. Um, a lot of them in shared apartments and like, you know, they, they need access to the, to the bandwidth. And so that worked pretty good. We did see some challenges as more workloads work moved. Um, but by and large, that was, that was not the biggest issue for, for, um, for the company. I'll close with as a small company, um, you know, we're dependent on, on revenue from our users, but increasingly our businesses. And we've seen a great uptake in our access program, which is where businesses or, or universities or mm-hmm. government organizations pay for service for the people that they serve. And I'm happy to talk about it more, but I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that uh, we've had 20 universities um, deploy IRON. We've had a lot of employers deploy IRA for their employees and staff who may be working from home, right, or or to facilitate their travel. So there's been a lot of change and, and we've, uh, we've, you know, we've kept up, but it's still it's still a struggle, I think, for all of us, um, whether a small company or some of the people um, that we serve in this uh, time of change. Wow, thanks, Troy. That's a, that's a really interesting observation. Um, so, Cindy, you mentioned earlier not only your role in membership services coordinator, uh, but also the creator, innovator-in-chief, the brains behind the ACB community. Um, let's talk a little bit. Before the ACB community, ACB was more uh, free conference call, phone system-based. But with the sure. pandemic, with the adoption of of Zoom, we've had this proliferation proliferation of ACB community events. And I'll even point out that back towards the beginning of the pandemic, Comcast was one of our first guests on a community event back in April of 2020. Do you think this would be possible without you know, our, our folks adopting, adopting Zoom, having access and adopting broadband services? Well, the, the truth of the matter is, is that we couldn't do what we're doing without it, right? Mm. Um, we're using Zoom for all of our calls. We went from 11 in the last two weeks of March to 11 being a slow day. Uh, last week, we had 92 calls, 93, excuse me, 93 calls uh, in one week. And uh, these calls are being accessed by our members and friends. So it's not just our members. These are anyone who wants to come on to a call can, but they have to be able to have access to the infrastructure they need to be able to make that happen. Uh, so several use their apps on their phones. Uh, some, uh, quite a few use their computer or PC or Mac. And then we still probably have about 25% that use a good old-fashioned telephone. And I, I really believe that's where our biggest barrier ends up being is, uh, you know, those that may not have unlimited long distance. And, uh, you know, I don't know how that plays into all of this, but the, I know a lot of uh, companies to offer uh, unlimited long distance. And uh, so some of, you know, quite a few of our people that come onto these calls are older. And there's uh, still many people who are not 
taking advantage of taking part in the community events, not because they wouldn't want to, but because of access to unlimited long distance and or maybe they don't have uh, the a smartphone or a computer or even know how to use the internet. So there's, you know, that I, I, I like to think of it as it's got to be available, accessible and affordable. So mm-hmm. all that plays in. And, and I'll take a quick detour from our, our outline here, but Troy, is that something that you've experienced with Ira as well? Um, kind of that uh, available, affordable, accessible gap. Mm-hmm. For help, the help funny, Clark, I, was just, uh, I was just taking notes like a, that's a page out of our book. Um, you know, first off, you, you know, Ira today, uh, if you want to use it, you, you need to have a smartphone, a data plan and, and know how to use a phone and not. And we when we go to like the ACB conference, I'm in the booth and I'm talking to folks and they love the concept, but they don't have access to that basic function. Yep. And the second one is um, while we do have paid plans, we also have the ability for free calls. But. You may know, folks may know, we, we had to reduce that just to, you know, get through this pandemic as a company and, and be viable. And so, yeah, those are real barriers today for many of our users. Um, and it's and it's why we look for partnerships with businesses to, to offset those costs and over time reduce. But at the same time as an industry, the question is, how do we get the, techno- the basic technology, whether it's IRA or anything else, how do we get that basic technology in the hands of people who could really benefit from it. Thanks, Troy. And Zach, curious if you have any thoughts or comments on what Troy and and Cindy are discussing here and how we can, I guess, current policies that are in place. Earlier, you mentioned Lifeline and Jackie mentioned Internet Essentials. Uh, Are there other policies in place that we can use or leverage to help increase broadband access and adoption? Well, uh, Lifeline is obviously, excuse me, the big one. It's been around for quite some time. Um, Emergency broadband benefit is something that's very timely that I wanted to make Mm -hmm. sure that uh, the ACB audience was aware of. Uh, This is a monthly subsidy of up to $50 or $75 for people that are living on tribal lands towards a broadband connection. And ACB is among many other organizations focused on disability that have weighed in on the programming. And that conversation has really been helpful to us in trying to form how we want to attack this issue, to understand uh, the disability-specific issues that come with these benefits. Obviously, a big issue there is wanting to see more uptake of them. You know, sometimes these benefits just sit there and people don't exercise them. So there are opportunities with stakeholders like ACB to get more education out to folks so that they know that this benefit is there in the first place. Uh, That's certainly something that we could all do a better job at across the board, uh, making sure that there's awareness of these programs. But uh, through this process of, you know, going through the last year and understanding how dependent people are on our Internet connections and trying to think of a more long-term solution for when the money that's within the EBB program runs out, uh, we made a policy proposal through our a paper called Accelerating America, where we talked about a more long-term broadband benefit, uh, $20 to $50 per person, uh, excuse me, per household towards a broadband connection, including a biannual equipment benefit. And we think that this kind of bill should include <clears throat> digital literacy training, remote learning, mm-hmm. connectivity and technology support 
because those kinds of education and relevancy components, getting people familiar with uh, their devices, with their computers, making sure that they're able to use them effectively to do what they want to do uh, is very important to make sure that they, these services are actually taken. Uh, but again, this has been another phase in this very educational conversation with us where we have designed the basics of this as far as what we see as being a priority. We did this talking with companies like Comcast and AT&T, our contemporaries within the industry, T-Mobile. Uh, but uh, the types of feedback that we've had from ACB and other organizations are really helpful. And we're just hopeful that this is something that can actually come up for a vote. And that, you know, we could get a, a bill through that would address this issue. Obviously, you know, there are a ton of things that are on Congress's plate right now. But given the fact that, you know, everybody's been indoors for a year and we also have to plan for the next crisis and understand that this is probably not the last time that people are going to need to stay home and stay safe and thinking through, all right, well, if connectivity is going to be an issue, then let's plan ahead so we're, we have it handled in advance. So. Uh, the conversation, the 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 opportunity to engage with organizations like AACB and get direct feedback on these policy proposals is uh, really helpful to Verizon. Mark, yes, it, can I ask Zach a question? Oh my goodness! Uh, okay, <laughs> it, it's about what he just said. So, when somebody gets that subsidy uh, or I, that program, the fifty dollars, or you know, with the yes. um. Can they do that without, uh, can they do that just for an internet phone, for example, to have broadband for a phone? Yes, yes. No, we're, we're really agnostic about the way that we feel like that these benefits should be exercised and also eligibility for them. Mm-hmm. Lifeline kind of provides a good baseline that if you qualify for Lifeline, you'd also qualify for this. But we also look at things like WIC and SNAP and Medicaid is also being good indicators of the kinds of people that this could serve the best. But yeah, so as long as the service itself meets the FCC standard of being a broadband service, mm-hmm. we're fine of any, any kind of services, as long as it meets that. So it can give people true broadband service. We're totally agnostic about how people use it. We just want people to be able to stay connected. Thank you. Yeah. And Jackie, I- could you elaborate a little bit more on, because the yeah. emergency broadband Zach, program. Yeah, and Zach did such a good job of, of, of kicking this off. And I think, you know, this is this is a very interesting, the emergency broadband benefit is a super interesting case study in, in different stakeholders coming together to, to try to solve a real crisis in real time, right? This was, um, this was an, an idea that came together, you know, last summer, um, and it was really, you know, the collaboration between consumer groups and um, so many different stakeholders in the FCC and industry. And, you know, just this week, um, acting FCC uh, chair Jessica Rosenworcel released kind of the, the highlights, the contours of this program, right, for $3.2 billion. The, the issue here is we don't know how fast that money will go out the door, right? And I think to Cindy's point earlier, right, seen um, during the last year, and I, I say this as a mom with a, with a nine-year-old here in my house, um, families with children have really um, picked up the pace to, to get connected because of the, the distance learning, obviously. But what we're seeing is a huge need for those that aren't necessarily families, but you're talking about older Americans, you're talking 
about additional communities that really continue to be super isolated in this in this whole situation. And so, um, so one of the things, you know, that, that Zach talked about was how can we transform this good idea, right, this great public policy collaboration of EVB and make this more long term and make this more sustainable. And a part of this, I mean, to, to Zach's point also, is that there are so many, you know, programs out there that are underutilized. And this is where we need a real grassroots effort. And even, you know, even these convenings that Cindy's talking about, these community events, to help share what what the what the you know upside is for for someone being involved in this program. And we've seen this through Internet Essentials when we expanded to veterans and people in public housing and when we ex- expanded to seniors in different communities you know, over the past 10 years, that it takes a real grassroots effort to get the 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 you know the idea and and to get people to really believe in what this benefit can bring them and so you know up to fifty dollars is huge it can be and what's great is it doesn't you doesn't remove your your existing lifeline benefit if you're a lifeline customer if you're in another program this is completely additional for you to have that at home connectivity you know or the device I don't want to make anybody at Verizon mad by saying that but you know it's it's basically it's it's an additional high speed connection um, or the first high speed connection that people really need to be able to be more active. And now we're seeing what that means for employment, what we're seeing, what that means for health, um, not just safety is huge. And there's also a provision in the emergency broadband benefit, uh, not only for service, but for a device, a subsidized device as well. Uh, One of the things I think that's really interesting is in many facets of the pandemic, it's not that access to information or access to transportation are new barriers for the disability community. But the pandemic really shines a bright spotlight on things that aren't working, right? The areas that we need to do better. And I think broadband access, adoption, and education is certainly one of those areas. It's been highlighted not only for people with disabilities, people in uh, diverse socioeconomic uh, brackets or of different backgrounds. Uh, but right now I want to switch over to Troy and Cindy. Uh, mm-hmm. In talking about something like this, a, a broadband benefit, and just more generally, is, and you've already touched on this a little bit, but is access and adoption of broadband, um, it, I guess we've already established it's a barrier, right? But what would a this emergency broadband benefit as well as a sustaining program going forward mean for people who are blind and low vision? And I guess, Troy, I'll begin with you. Sure. And first off, this is one reason I'm super glad to be here. I'm not as steeped on these details. I'm learning some of this for the first time. And it seems like a a no-brainer. Like, if you look at the the folks who want to use IRA, for example, like, again, they're paying um, maybe a $29 a month fee. If they have their broadband... um, you know, covered that provides more economic relief to get to this basic service. Um, and, and, and having broadband at home, I mean, where everyone is now working and, and operating is, you know, is, is the basic air that, you know, drives an, a product like IRA. So, and then the one I'm really curious about is the education, because I think we already touched on it. I can't tell you how many folks want to use a product like IRA. There's a lot of great tools that you can get to on your phone but they're not competent or comfortable with 
the basics, even downloading an app and knowing your Apple ID, like that we're talking some very basic skills or, or, or screen readers or talk back. Um, the more folks who are capable and comfortable, it gives them such an opportunity for all the tools that are being innovated and created on, on these platforms. So that's, I, I'm really excited to hear about this. Great. And Cindy, uh, talking about the ACB community, you know, yeah. participating live in a community event is not the only way to participate, but through the use of broadband and ACB radio, we've had the ability to archive uh, if, if it's a video community event on Facebook Live, as well as our YouTube channel, if it's an audio event or the audio from all events as podcasts through ACB radio. So broadband really expands upon the available options for people to take part in these community events. I, I just want to ask you a question, Cindy, in terms of social distancing and folks being stuck at home throughout the pandemic, what has engagement and involvement in the ACB community meant for our members in the broader community? For so many, I, I hear it daily that it's saved their, I mean, some have said it has saved my life, saved my sanity. Um, they're, you know, being able to be a part of something and have things offered to them daily. People are doing crafts. They have peer support. They're, they're learning technology. Uh, we have guitar lessons on Mondays. I mean, it's health and wellness, yoga and resistance and, uh, dance classes. And I just, it, it and then a lot of social events and, uh, we can't forget karaoke on Saturday nights and, and, uh, game night on Friday nights and with its playtime. So for so many, it has meant connection. It has meant, well, it's meant community and they don't feel alone and people get on calls and they know each other. And when somebody's battled COVID, they're, they get on a call and they're welcomed back or asked how they're doing or they're in getting a new guide dog. They're, you know, people are, how's your dog? And, you know, I mean, people just care about each other. It's also opened up, uh, you know, we've done now a Facebook group, uh, which is really popular. So, yeah, the community calls are really important and they have fed into a Facebook group. Facebook group, into our podcasts, into ACB radio. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that I just touched on, I, I brought up the phone and, I, you know, I would welcome any of you to take part in a community event. I'd be remiss if I didn't make sure I mentioned this, <laughs> but, um, and we'll say to you all three that I am a customer of all three. I have, my phone is on Verizon. My, I work from home. Uh, and Comcast was seamless with that. I moved from Minneapolis to Michigan early October and was able, was up and running, uh, the, the Monday, the, I moved on the weekend and was up and running on Monday. So this is the uh, best channel I've ever been on. Yes. I love this <laughs> So, okay. And, and I am a new explorer with Ira using the ACB discount. Uh, so I, I was one of those that took advantage of that free five minutes as often as I could, usually a couple times a day. But sometimes it'd be like close together. And then when it changed to being once a, once a day, 
uh, once every 24 hours. It, it pushed me over the edge, <laughs> Troy. <laughs> and uh, so I, I bit the bullet. Um, so I'm grateful to have all three. Uh, but one of the concerns that has been raised many times over, especially as we have been doing a lot of conventions around the country virtually, affiliates are concerned with uh, their populations not being able to have access to getting onto those conventions through Zoom because of the lack of long distance and uh, many of whom are using still the good old landline. And I think that if there's a way for us to speak to the grassroots, as was mentioned, through the emergency brand, uh, sorry, broadband, broadband benefit, benefit, yes, uh, you know, as a way for people to get uh, unlimited long distance, I think that would be really huge because it takes away that uh, that barrier from some. So, and Cindy, thank you for raising that. I know on our last panel with the FCC Disability Rights Office, the Deputy Bureau Chief Diane Burstein raised that in addition to launching the emergency broadband benefit. The FCC is seeking outreach partners, uh, of which ACB is one. So we will be communicating information about this benefit to our members to help get them connected uh, so that they can take part in this benefit and you know, feel more connected, be uh, in a safe, welcoming, and respectful ACB community environment, and use assistive you know, remote technologies like IRA uh, to help them live more independently, not just during the pandemic, but for many years to come. So at this point, I'd like to invite our Zoom host to open up for Q&A with our audience. Okay. We have Marcia Moses. You should be able to talk. Marcia. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for a very informative panel. And I would like to say that I use two out of three, Comcast for my mobile phone. I'm sorry, Verizon for my mobile phone and Comcast broadband for cable. Um, But I have a question for Troy. I was going to sign up with Ira. I do not have a smartphone. I was going to sign up with Ira back in the day when you had the glasses and the camera. Uh, and the phone, I should say, and that disappeared. Has Ira given any consideration of coming up with a service to use your broadband with your laptop um, with the camera in order to at least get some uh, questions answered from home? Because, you know, there are those of us who don't have smartphones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've heard this loud and clear, and it is definitely on the roadmap. So we have, and, and it was inspired even further by the, the changes that took place because of the pandemic. I, again, I, I alluded to, we used to take maybe 30% of our calls were navigation and 20% were online. And that flipped in the pandemic and it remains that way. We have way more online usage and a lot of folks don't want to call in on the phone to set up the call. They just want to use their computer like we're doing right now with Zoom. So that is definitely on the table, but I don't have a date for you. Um, but we're, we're yeah, I, can, I can say it's a priority. Well, that's wonderful to know. And I'll be, I will be the, uh, looking forward to that. Thank you so yeah. much. And good afternoon, Thanks everybody. Thank you. Ray, you 
should be able to unmute. And I did, Linda. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> good afternoon. Uh, before I ask my two quick questions, uh, to Troy, first of all, huge thank you, thank you, thank you for Ira being there. It is, it's, it's changed my life, Hello. and it's certainly a wonderful thing. Um, my question yeah, is, um, and, my, and my wife is going to the other room because she's in the other breakout. She's going to ask her question. Anyway, my, <laughs> this is what happens when you're doing this. Anyway, my, so um, Zach and uh, Jackie, my one question to you two, and that would be, we know a lot of trends are going to remain after the pandemic, remote working, uh, telehealth, uh, maybe some remote learning, those kinds of things. Yet there are still areas in this country where broadband doesn't exist, rural areas I'm thinking of especially. Have your companies done any thinking about ways to improve your infrastructure to reach some of those hard-to-reach areas of the country like uh, rural areas and that, those kinds of things? And to Troy, my question to you is, is Ira looking at anything or any plans to enhance access for people who are deafblind? Mm-hmm. All right. So first question was to, and we'll start with Jackie, but to Jackie and Zach about improving uh, broadband access, specifically rural parts of the country, but I guess anywhere that where there's a broadband dead zone. Yes. And I think this is, you know, this is something I think that all, all companies, all, all the ISPs are, are working through right now, right? I, I don't think there's ever been sort of an idea not to connect people or to, you know, deliberately exclude folks, right? I think that the reality is that the cost of some of these locations is it's very expensive. And so uh, it's very expensive to build that connectivity out, especially when you're talking about rural America. Um, and so I think that, you know, I can speak for Comcast. We're putting a lot of time and energy into thinking about how we tackle this you know, you look at if you look at the maps and where the footprint is of, of our of our plant, there are places where we're looking to expand and grow. And um, and I think this is definitely a part of the conversation that's going to happen um, in Congress about infrastructure, right? And the infrastructure stimulus and how do we make sure that we're deploying funds to where people are unserved, right? To where there is no connectivity versus overbuilding where where connectivity already is and and you're bringing in additional, you know, players in that space. So I think, you know, companies are are thinking through this very clearly and I think realizing that the because the costs are so high, that could be another, you know, reason to really embrace a more long-term solution like the broadband benefit to help those communities that are in rural America that haven't had the same economic stimulus that you've seen in several of the cities. Right to to help them um, and to help the the people that live there really be able to take advantage of the technology that may already exist there, but maybe at a higher price point. And before I turn it to you, one quick thing that I'll add, since Jackie mentioned the uh, emergency broadband benefit in this context, one of the things I like most about this program is it's much like you were saying, Zach, technology neutral or technology agnostic. If wireless works for you in your area, perfect. If wireline broadband access is what would help you the most, even better. Um, but there are still some areas that you know, connectivity in itself is an issue. Yeah, Clark, and if I can jump in for one for one more second sure. here, just to say that I think this is where we need to have more, more dialogue and we need to hear from people, right? This is where it's helpful 
um, particularly on the assistive technology side, to really hear um, more about what people need. And I think the companies like Verizon and, and Comcast, I won't speak for them, but you know, we're not device manufacturers, right? So we we need to hear from people what they're using, right? This is where the conversation and to hear about how people are using Ira is so helpful to understand better the technology that people want to have um, and how that technology fits into the ecosystem helps us make better policy. And so the more that people are involved in this discussion and the more that we're we're hearing about what, you know, what are the trends that are making people um, have more fulfilling lives. That's exactly where we want to be able to put our resources and build our coalitions better. Thank well, you, Jack. <clears throat> and Zach? Yes, yes. And just great question, Larry. And honestly, it's something that uh, my family has personally experienced because in the last year, uh, my mother and father left Dallas, Texas and moved to Twisp, Washington which is in Eastern Washington. It's a tiny mountain town. It's beautiful, but they have had serious challenges getting a good internet connection. So not only have I directly answered this question by someone else in twist from ACB last year about, you know, why is my internet not as good as it could be out here? Jackie really outlined the problem. I mean, the costs to deploy what we call fiber to the premises to an individual home are really enormous. And that doesn't even cover all the franchising and approvals that are involved to get that done. So from an economic perspective, it is really difficult. And this is a long-term challenge, Larry, that the FCC has been looking at for a long time. There have been different initiatives around, well, can we get electrical, rural rural electric co-ops, people that are providing very localized cell phone service? Are there things that we can do to help them scale up their business so they could be broadband providers within the area? So the fact that you're raising this issue uh, is just a demonstration of the fact that this has been a real long-term challenge, that there are a lot of benefits and great parts to living in rural areas. But when we're able to deliver services to customers in more concentrated population bases like that, there's economies of scale that are realized that allow us to deliver uh, really good service to many more people. So uh, I, I think there are a lot of things on the table. And, and frankly, rural internet is one of the rare actual bipartisan issues out there. That you know There are just as many Republicans as Democrats who have constituents that need to get connected, and, and this is a big priority for, for them. So I'm hopeful in this Congress that we could see more measures that push that issue forward. But it's a big structural challenge, and we really appreciate all the opportunities to hear from folks like you about how it's directly impacting you and the kind of technologies that have made a difference. Thanks, Zach. And I, I know you're uh, you're waxing on about uh, Washington State was giving Cindy a little <laughs> uh, homesickness. Uh, Troy raised other question about uh, deafblind support yeah. on Ira. And Ray, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a supportive customer. Um, every customer, every explorer matters to us, and it's great to hear. Yeah, so we we do have uh, customers who are using Ira who are deafblind or using their Braille note display in conjunction with the ability to text with the agent. I'm certain we can do more there, and I would encourage anyone uh, to contact our product manager, Ryan.Bishop, that's R-Y-A-N.Bishop at Ira.io if you have you know needs or challenges or ideas he's our product manager and would love to hear from you on that but we do have customers today who are using ira uh, again with their their note display and chat thanks troy and unfortunately that brings us to the end of our panel 
If, if folks have additional questions, please email us at advocacy at acb.org. And when appropriate, we'll pass those along to our panelists. And as I wrap up this panel, I would at, like to ask each of our panelists just for one final quick thought on what broadband adoption would mean greater broadband adoption would mean for ACB members and people who are blind and experiencing vision loss. And as they quickly formulate that, I'll say, please stay tuned. Our next panel in this breakout is on the 21st Century Communications Video Accessibility Act, where we are, where should we be going. And on breakout B, the final health and wellness session will be on what to include in a diabetes bill of rights for people who are blind and experiencing vision loss. So Jackie, ladies first, I'll begin with you. Well, and, I, and I'd love to be on the next panel to talk about the Olympics and um, <laughs> all the things that we're doing to, with NBC News to um, enhance the experience. But um, I'll just say that I think Cindy, you know, of, of all the people all day that I talked to about broadband, I think Cindy had the best um, and most authentic, um, you know, comment about why this is so important. And I think, you know, everybody right now is feeling isolation. Um, I'm a true extrovert, so I can't handle being home all day like this. Um, but I think that, I think that, you know, this is, you can make all the arguments about the technology and, and what we're really seeing right now is that people are adapting. There are new apps, IRA, there are new, um, new technologies emerging everywhere to help people get that sense of, of connectivity and that human interaction that's so important. And so my hope is that, you know, working together, we can really um, move this um, hopefully through Congress um, in the near future and let people have that experience again um, so that we can all be out of our houses and, and, and seeing each other in real time soon. Thanks, Jackie. And Zach, a quick thought? Absolutely. And I, I, I echo all of Jackie's comments as far as just really trying to apply these lessons learned going forward and making sure that uh, we are fully including people on the same spirit of fully including people. Uh, something that really hit a nerve with me in March when this first started up and I participated in uh, Mobility Matters. It was supposed to be in Portland. It, held, it was held remotely, uh, coordinated with DeafBlind Citizens in Action. And what I heard from so many of the participants that joined us from that event was, this is so great. This is the kind of thing that we wouldn't have been able to attend previously, but we're able to join this Zoom and ask you questions and meaningfully participate in the discussion. So even though I love doing in-person events, I'm very much like Jackie that I miss all the opportunities to see your smiling faces and have a drink and eat some nice food and talk about these important issues face to face. But even once that becomes a possibility again, I think we need to maintain that remote component. So the kind of people that are engaged by these events and able to attend now that couldn't previously can continue to participate. Because if we just hit a switch and say, okay, we're all in person now, we're not doing this remote stuff anymore. There are people that aren't going to be included. There are people yes. that have been participating because it's remote that need to continue to be able to participate after this is over. So, and Cindy, once the pandemic ends, are the, the community events ending or what does broadband adoption mean for you? <laughs> the community events are not ending. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I've had to like pinky swear, you know, <laughs> that they wouldn't end. Um, 
you know, I think that that just to remember, I mean, we all, those of us who use them, love our smartphone and our smart TV and, uh, you know, computer access and all of those things that we use on a daily basis. But we don't want to forget, uh, and and it this covers people of all ages, all economic backgrounds, people in all different areas of the country. Uh, so, it, and and of course, we're we're concerned about people who are blind or visually impaired. But really, it it reaches even more than that. Um, but I just don't want us to forget people that also are using a regular landline phone that uh, they need to be able to access all of this amazing uh, technology, even if it's through a phone and be able to stay connected. And so, you know, it's, it's just connection is so important. Connection to the world. Isolation is never healthy. So. Thanks, Cindy. And Troy, last word goes to you. Sure. I'm going to build on what everyone said. I think uh, what we've seen in the pandemic is a crisis, but at the same time, it's showing opportunity. I think whether it's employers or government programs, there's a lot more flexibility in the in the mindset because we can see what people have done. Like if you really think about what's happened in the last year, there's probably been no bigger shift, at least in my lifetime, to a whole new modality of of um you know, communicating. And we've seen some benefits, like we talked about, like, you know, more people connecting because it's online and and it removes that barrier to travel. So in addition to what everyone said, I think as a community, now is the time to keep the momentum and keep that focus. While I think everyone is in a a more um, open mindset about change, right? Because this is about change and not everyone is in favor of change. And if we can, as a community kind of come together and have strong advocacy for those for this community we can we can achieve more so really excited about what we can do together thanks troy and thank you to all of our panelists i apologize to kim charlson that i took us a little long here but we will get going into our next panel as soon as possible so again thank you everyone for participating and folks hang tight and we'll be up with the cvaa panel shortly